0: You're listening to Freshly Brewed, episode four. I'm your host, Jeff. I once heard a beautiful story about a boy walking in the park with his father. And as they were walking, the boy noticed how quickly and easily the birds in the park could just fly away. He shared with his dad how jealous he was of the birds, jealous of the fact that these creatures could just leave the ground if they didn't like the park they were in and fly anywhere else in the world. What did the dad tell his son? So can we. As humans, we forget the freedom we have. As humans, we often believe, sometimes for good reason, but many times for no reason at all, that we are stuck in our circumstances, that we have no other choices. that The game we are playing is the game we will always play. Tragically, we forget that we, like birds, have wings. Not real wings, but you get the point. Why is this the case? Why are humans so afraid to make such big changes? Asked, perhaps differently, why do we think changes aren't possible to begin with? For starters, some people don't have the luxury to just fly away. Some people are unable to overcome the fear of making the wrong decision, or to face the consequences of a leap gone wrong. Some people think they aren't smart enough or talented enough. Perhaps that's why Steve Jobs, when encouraging humans to put a dent in the universe, said The world is created by people no smarter than you. This topic fascinates me because I myself am someone who often walks into walls that I myself put up. Like the best of us, I forget, or am sometimes fearful of, my ability to change my own circumstances. I want to explore this topic further. And I'm going to do so with someone who has bravely demonstrated the amazing ability we as humans have to fly somewhere different, to explore something truer to ourselves. Today, I will be interviewing Russ Rowlands, business director, world traveler, sailor, self-proclaimed geek, and one of the most fascinating individuals I have ever met. In 2016, Russ did something most would never do, He not only left his job to travel the world, but he did it by sails and rails. He covered tens of thousands of kilometers by train and boat. And he did this after, in his own words, he spent too much time waiting for Fridays. He is an unbelievable human being who loves to adventure, take risks, ask the hard questions, and simply put, control his own destiny. All aboard, this train is leaving the station.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Freshly Brewed. Here's your host, Jeff Fenton.
0: Freshly Brewed, episode four, and I'm here with Russ Rollins. Russ, not Russell. We, we've we've clarified that, and we're doing this remotely again to make sure we're we're keeping socially and physically distant. Russ, welcome to the Freshly Brewed podcast. Jeff, thanks for having me. Before we, we dive in, I, I always like to ask during this time, what's your what, what's your COVID setup? Are you home office? Are you couch? How has your, your work life changed in this quite unusual time? I, I am working from home and today is day
1: 26 or 25, something like that. Uh, I took precautions early here because my offices in the Hamilton were in a very high traffic neighborhood and I uh, wanted to get out. Um, I have two desks at home and I work at neither one of them. I work from my couch with a nice big windows beside it.
0: I'm curious. And I, again, I, I love to ask this now, how is your caffeine intake changed and how, if at all, has your alcohol intake changed? Caffeine has gone down. I have a coffee
1: maker and make coffee every couple of days, but it's shitty coffee. And I mean, I'm a Tim Hortons drinker, but. Um, the stuff I make at home is even worse than that. Oh. Um, foods is, I don't know, probably less in general because, uh, you, you know, there's no one around and nowhere to go. But on the other hand, there's nothing to do. So I'll have a couple of beers here and there. Right. Uh, on the other hand, I'm not, you know, not getting out to meet clients. I'm not going out to see friends. So it's a it's a funny situation. Like I am definitely healthier in the last 30 days than I was in the
0: previous year, I think. Mm. It's I minutes. Mean, go ahead. It's it's uh it's funny you say that because I've found that because I know that I have to stay inside and you know my my workout routine has pretty much gone out the window, I'm so much more motivated to be, you know, walking, running up and down my stairs, doing push-ups and planks at home. I feel like some people might actually come out of this healthier, stronger, more fit. It, it's uh it's quite a quite an experience. Yeah, that's funny. That you mentioned that. I was just
1: talking about that today with my team, um, trying to keep everybody motivated as we work from home. And we just started a, a you know, a challenge. Post up, uh, send up a, a photo to the teams of what you're doing to stay healthy when you're just sitting on your ass on the couch doing your work. Um, and I, I do the same thing. I have a calisthenics routine that I do every morning and try to maintain through the day. When I got home from or got home to work from home, I set this goal of. Um, uh, being able to touch my toes by the end of it and hopefully getting my six pack back and I'll, I'll get my toes touched at least, but yeah, sit ups and push ups and planks and jumping jacks. And my uh, granddad was in the military and he did like an old school army workout, just straight calisthenics until he was about 88 and he was in great physical shape. And I think, ah, oh, well, I mean, I've got nothing else to do around here. Get up and used to go for a walk to grab a coffee or get a lunch. And now I make a quick sandwich. And so I've got all this time to kill. I might as well stay a bit more physically active while being locked up in the house.
0: I love it. And, and as you say, hey, keep it simple. I mean, some of the simple things we can do, walking, calisthenics, stretching, these are all things we can be doing uh, with pretty much no space or equipment. So it's, yep. uh, it's time to do it. So how I met you, and it's, it's quite an, I guess, interesting story, is I was reading the magazine from the university they I went to. They publish a magazine and, you know, every so often they run these features or articles. And so I'm just sitting in the park one day and I'm reading this magazine and I see this, you know, feature story about a guy named Russ and apparently went to the same school that I went to. And this is a man who, and I don't want to give away too much of your story because I really want you to tell it, but you made a pretty big change in your life and Traveled the world in an extremely unique way, and I am so excited to be able to you know hear it directly from you, and and perhaps before we get into that story, you can just tell our listener, listeners a little bit more about who Russ is before this big change in 2016, and then we can of course get into what happened.
1: Sure. Um, so I was a bit of a late bloomer, and I went and did my MBA at said school uh, when I was about 30. And I came out of that and had said school's heavy amount of debt that was definitely worth it, but was a bit of a shock for me, um, being a a kid from Hamilton. And I had to take a very high-flying bank job just to pay it down. Now, of course, I was lucky enough to get that job. I ended up working in one of the big five banks down on Bay Street in corporate banking. Um, And it was a complete 180 in my life from before from where I was before my MBA. I had no real understanding or expectation, to be honest, of where I was going to get to. Um, But I ended up on Bay Street making six figures and comfortable, and I paid off school, and I saved up a couple of bucks. And I worked till about 35 years old and had saved up what most sane, intelligent humans would have used for a down payment on a house or a condo and decided that it was uh, then time for another change after those six years.
0: So you know, you're, you're in the flow, you're earning six figures, you're doing what, you know, society would give you the check mark for the gold star for. But as you describe it, something didn't feel right. It felt like you were waiting for Fridays, which I absolutely love the way you put that. What what was brewing? What what was leading up to wanting to make such a big change in your life? I don't think there was no unhappiness,
1: you know, you read a couple of books about Wall Street or Bay Street life, how it can be miserable. And I wasn't in investment banking, I was in investment banking's little brother. And I worked a lot of hours, but they paid me for it. My boss was a nice guy and nobody was an asshole. And so there wasn't a a looming negativity that was pushing me out the door. It was more something outside that was enticing me, I guess. I didn't love waking up and going to work and sticking my nose into a spreadsheet for 60 hours a week, but I didn't hate it. I have a, a, a high risk threshold we'll say. And uh, because I don't have any dependents, I wasn't married, no kids, no pets, nothing like that. I was, uh, I had the luxury of saying, well, if, if I wanted to take this money that I've saved up and do something with it, what could I do? And that's like, you know, if you, when you were little and you got a gift certificate for the mall and you can go to any store you want and just go spend your 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever it was, it was almost paralyzing for a little while because I had that freedom to just choose what the hell I was going to go do. And so I was talking with everybody I knew in all walks of life for about a year, or even 18 months before I settled on what path I would take when I
0: went out the front door. You mentioned that during this time, it's not that you were you know, profoundly unhappy but that something was enticing you on the outside, that something was pulling you to, to make a change or experience something different. Before we finally tell our listeners what it is you did, what was that thing that was enticing you? What was this part of life that was pulling you uh, towards it? I think it was just the mystery. It, I hadn't traveled
1: very much prior, Um, seen some of the, the, the expected places I've been to London, I've been to Paris, I've been to Hong Kong, been to the Caribbean, but no, not travel, just tourism. And it was, I don't I'm a map geek, something that we might get into later. And you, you spin the globe and you look at it and you realize just how much of the world, not only that you haven't seen, but how much most people don't get to see in their life. Right. No matter how many vacations or two or three week vacations you go on through the course of your 25, 35 year working career, you're never going to see any of this. And that was the big motivator for me was that it was just so
0: much, so much out there, I guess. So you're in a good rhythm, you're making good money, and something is obviously enticing you. In this case, it's, you know, seeing the rest of the world and you have all this you know, money stashed away for the down payment on the home, but you decide to do something quite different. And for the listeners, pretty much all of them who have absolutely no idea what that is, um, other than the fact that you went and saw the world, talk talk about this big decision you made and this pivot in your life.
1: So I decided that I was going to quit my job and go travel. I had no idea what form that would take or where even I wanted to go. There was nothing specific that was really, you know, it wasn't the pyramids and it wasn't the Eiffel Tower and it wasn't the Great Wall of China that I was excited to see. I just wanted to kind of go see all of it and and experience things, Um, which is kind of a... A, a lackluster start to a global adventure was what were you really looking forward to see? Oh, I don't know. All of it, I guess. If funny, but there wasn't some, you know, it wasn't Machu Picchu. It wasn't, there was nothing that I was just dying to, to get out there and see. It was more just a sense of wonder of, of curiosity, I guess is really what it comes down to. Um, but I had previously, I guess for the last four years, uh, been lucky enough to sail as a crew member on a boat in Toronto Harbor out of uh, Queen City Yacht Club. And they're a very easygoing bunch, really friendly guys. Um, and as I spent the previous summer talking about this adventure I wanted to go on, they planted the seed in my head of looking for a way to sail around the world. And I didn't grow up sailing. I didn't grow up with a boat. I'd never slept on a sailboat before. I'd never been on a cruise. I had no idea if I got seasick. And so, of course, at first, when the only sailing I've ever done is a couple hours on a Wednesday night racing in Toronto Harbor, the whole thing seems incomprehensibly complicated and unapproachable. And that's a whole different world. Uh, but I did research over the next six months, I guess, and, and decided that that's what I would try to do. Between sailboats and uh, trains, I wanted to slow travel my way 40,000 clicks, the distance around the world at the equator. And it didn't have to be one boat or one trip or anything like that. One big long continuous um, adventure. It was just a way for me to piecemeal together. Well, if I'm going to have a, an aimless goal, you know, if I'm not going to have a specific goal of, like I said, Machu Picchu or or Kilimanjaro, what will be my goal? And I set the goal as these these forty thousand kilometers by sailboat and train.
0: I honestly just got goosebumps because your goal seemed to be the journey, and not necessarily the destination. That's obviously a huge cliche, but it's something I've talked about on here before. And it sounds like your focus really was the process. And so I'm curious, you know, going by going by train, going by sail, where did it take you? What were some of the, you know, amazing experiences you had on this journey?
1: Well, I'm smiling ear to ear now because so I just I get excited thinking about it, but it was all what I will call serendipity. Um, some of the sailors in Toronto f- connected me with some websites that are basically a joke around a combination of LinkedIn and a dating website for sailors <laughs> because there's a lot of boats out there going from A to B, and you need at least three crew members on these boats for generally insurance purposes, but just to make your life easier. Uh, so everyone can sail the boat eight hours a day and still get a chance to sleep, et cetera. And I, I think a lot of people when they buy sailboats don't think about that because who are going to be the three people on your boat? You, maybe your husband or your wife. Uh, is your kid going to come? Possibly, but maybe only for part of the trip. And maybe Uncle Lou will come and maybe blah, blah, blah will come. But it's hard to find crew, for, especially for long distance sailing. And so these websites, they want to know if you know how to pull some ropes on a boat. You know, sailing is, can be complicated, but the basics are very, very approachable. Uh, but more importantly, if you're going to be crammed into this, this sardine can of a sailboat for months at a time, <laughs> what they're looking for is a personality that they'll get along with. And someone that'll stay clean, that'll stay relatively sober, that'll stay, uh, that uh, will cook pitch in 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 some way, shape, or form to the community of living on that boat. So I went on and found a a sailor that had bought his boat in France, sailed from France to uh, the Caribbean side of the Panama Canal, and was waiting to go through the canal to sail across the Pacific to get it back home to Australia. He and I chatted briefly on Skype and a couple of email exchanges, but he was a very quiet fellow. And I kind of just took a flyer and flew down to, to Panama, I guess, and, and, and met him. Um, from Panama, I sailed through the canal, well, motored through the canal, uh, which is a two-day endeavor. And then a month up the coast of Panama, getting to know everybody and getting to know the boat while well, we're still within sight of land. And then turned left, as I joke around, and sailed across the Pacific. Went a month at sea. Within, uh, you know, six weeks of quitting my job, I was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean with nothing for 5,000 miles. Um, That was certainly the highlight of the trip. You know, the next two and a half years were adventures along those lines. But spending a month with only two other guys, strangers, on a little sailboat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you know, no land in sight, no safety in sight, no one's coming to get you was far and away the most incredible thing I've ever done with my life.
0: If we were in the same place right now, you'd honestly see my jaw uh, pretty much near to the floor because this to me is just such an unfathomable experience. I mean, most people wouldn't do this trip to begin with, let alone quit a job, a job that, you know, was, was very safe and secure, both you know, physically and financially, and then go on this type of adventure. So what I want to know is how did you make this decision in light of all the possible consequences and not just the consequences to your physical safety, but you know the social consequences of people judging you and of looking down on this and of being deviant? How do you bring yourself to make this type of decision?
1: Well, that's funny. I, I had a very supportive family and and my folks are split, but um, and, and both my parents are quite different from the other. And I told my mom and she was overjoyed. She thought this is the best thing in the whole wide world. Uh, and I told my dad and he kind of nodded and, you know, said, all right, well, if that's what you're going to do. I suppose that sounds like a pretty good adventure. And, you know, you still have your MBA and all that stuff. So uh, this will all be waiting for you when you get home. And that was his way of endorsing it. Um, and broad support from, I would say, eighty percent of my social my social world, uh, but very like few, but very strong points of resistance.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the girl I was kind of seeing at the time wasn't against it because I would be leaving. She was probably okay with that. She was against it because I was ceasing to be that cog in the wheel to, to contribute to the machine, to, to be an active participant in quote unquote society. Uh, she thought that I was just walking away from, from society to go fuck off into the blue, which I kind of was doing, but I didn't, I didn't her and I had never ever, ever reconciled that, that perspective of I didn't view it as my turning my back on anything but I didn't view that it was my responsibility to continue making six figures working in a bank for the rest of my life. Like, what was I contributing? There's another smart guy that could come along after me and have more commitment to it and maybe have a family that he needs that money. And so why should I be taking up that seat? Um, and so there was a few of these points that were, that, that raised that issue that to be honest, it, it didn't even occur to me beforehand that somebody would not think this was an amazing idea, but it was there. um, And over the course of two and a half years of traveling, I had to reconcile my coming back and rejoining civilization or society with the thought that there would be this 15% of people call it that thought what I did was irresponsible for A, B, C, D, whatever reason. Um, and, And part of that was realizing that from a personal perspective, I'm perfectly fine having somebody around that doesn't agree with what I did. You know, we didn't argue about it. It was just a, you know, we'd stare at each other like, why are you doing this? Why Why do you think I shouldn't? But I never want to work for somebody that has a complete opposite experience or a perspective than I do. And so it very much clarified this sense of, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, but I know
0: the sort of personalities that, that are best suited to being around me and vice versa. So... One of the things I found, at least in my life, is that when, when I make a decision that I know is right for me, but that others might not totally agree with, I almost have this theory that once I go and make it and act with conviction, especially with my parents, that they will buy in once they see that I'm truly bought in. In other words, when I'm kind of on the fence, they know that I'm on the fence, but when I when I commit and I go for it, they, they will then... Support me to make it the right decision. Did you find that once you did this, once you went, once you went through with it, people came around to it or started to accept it? It,
1: I think, it took a while for some people, some personalities, uh, some worldviews. To, to understand why I was doing it, that I wasn't running away from something, that I wasn't discarding my career because I thought it was a pile of bullshit, that it it wasn't a rejection of the past or, even, or it wasn't a rejection of, of of my life to date. It was just an embrace of something new. And I, I think, especially for a conservative, risk-averse personality, which a lot of people put up their hands say, yeah, that's me. You know, I wish it could be more adventurous, but I'm not. Uh, they will view a change like this as an inherent rejection of, of their way of life or of a way of life, which is the more staid, steady course. And nobody likes that rejection. And so it takes a level of, of empathy on both sides, especially when, you, you know, if you've got a slightly more risk-on attitude or risk-on perspective of the world, to understand that they're not – that somebody that doesn't agree with your view or your goals – isn't doing so from a expectation that you just sit and grind it out or that you get that next promotion or that you finally make x dollars amount or or that you go and you get married or that you go and you have kids it's that their worldview is such that that's what fit in the box and anything outside that box is almost like a a, an insult to the way that they've lived their life now this is i think largely subconscious but it takes it takes stepping into your world and showing that it isn't a, a, it wasn't an actual rejection of the past but more just a you know the next step in a in a, 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 a journey i guess that that you know can was built on the past rather than just rejecting it
0: there are people out there right now some listening and some who are just out there who hopefully one day will listen who want to make changes who want to make a decision like this now i would argue there's probably very few that have this specific idea of quitting quitting their job and traveling the world by sail or rail that is quite unique as amazing as it is but there are people i think all of us at some point have that moment where we want to make a change that feels so big and in a way so risky the same way this might have been risky for you a decision for someone to leave a job you know, just leave the job without the travel could feel just as risky. What do you tell that person? How do you encourage that person to make a decision like this, if it's right for them in spite of those fears, in spite of, you know, the perceived consequences, because you were able to do it.
1: That that comes down to growth. Um Staying with what you know is safe and comfortable, um, but it usually is minimally rewarding in in whatever way you want to be rewarded. Um, unless, unless your goal is to, if work is just a way to put food on the table that you go home and have an amazing home life and you play with the kids in the backyard and you don't give a crap about the job because it just pays the bills, that's fantastic the, because you found a way to be happy and it's your family. Or or whatever that is after work. Work can just be a means to an end. Right. But uh, in you know, I don't want to call it type A or hyper ambitious. But uh, a certain category of people will find themselves on a career trajectory that that, like you say, gives the gold star that checks all the boxes that that makes their friends jealous. Whether it's from their undergraduate year or from high school or or whatever it may be, and that that's you know that feels nice. It's rewarding to to do well. Um, but but. The biggest realization, I mean, I, I just, I think I just jumped and then realized all this later, I, I can't give myself any credit for understanding this in advance, was that that you build on everything every step of the way. And if you've come to a point where you don't feel like you're building anything anymore, that's the time to make a change. I knew that if I'd stuck with my job, I could have got the next promotion and blah, 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 but it just wasn't a trajectory that I cared for for particularly. So I needed to change something. I didn't need to change it as dramatically as this. And a lot of people don't need to make as dramatic a change as this. But if you're unhappy with the trajectory you're on, you do need to make a change. Um, And that it will be a scary decision. But if you consider if you were a hiring manager and looking at a pile of resumes and 90% of them were all the same and 10% of them had some interesting deviation for, you know, it doesn't have to be travel or any one thing. Um, it could have been, I wrote a book. It could have been, uh, um, you know, you moved and worked in a different country for two years or something, or you learned a foreign language for not just for job purposes, making the jump away from the trajectory you're on is less risky than, than, than sticking with it because you know where that trajectory is going to end up. And even though it's safe and the bills will get paid, most people that have this sort of risk appetite to, to change, to go out, to chase down a the dream, they're going to always pay their bills. Um, you, you know, you're never going to starve. Rent isn't going to go go unpaid. the The kids will always be fed because you'll find a way to do that. Um, and so, just sticking with something because of its uh, uh, reliability is no, sure, certainly, no way to happiness. But even that reliability and that 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 stayed nature of the course isn't isn't a necessary positive.
0: I love I love that you know you highlight that. It's 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 about growth, right? And again, cliches are cliches for a reason. You know, you you stay in your comfort zone. You know, you're not going to experience meaningful growth. That is where I mean, the magic is happening at the edge of our comfort zone, right outside the comfort zone. So, I I, I love how you put it. I want to come back to the trip um, or the adventure, as I think it really deserves to be called. Could you share, you know, maybe two two or three of you know, the best or most rewarding parts and maybe two or two or three of the most challenging or, uh, scary or hilariously terrifying parts.
1: Sure. Uh, the, the, the best part was, or one of the best parts was, was this trip on the Pacific. I ended up sailing across the Pacific. I sailed in the Baltic and the Caribbean um, sailed from Tokyo to Hong Kong, all the different times over the course of two and a half years, but laying on the deck of a boat, five thousand miles from everything, with no light pollution whatsoever, with the moon uh, completely gone, the stars become so bright that you can read a book by them. The Milky Way was reflecting off the ocean. And we were sailing down it, so that was that was wow. magical. That's a that's a life changing experience. L- staring at the star field and then it turning 3D and it's not just a blanket anymore. You can see that that one's lighter because it's further away, that one's brighter because it's closer. Um, it, it, I remember that, that was, <laughs> when the Starfield went 3D for me, it was not drugs. Uh, it, it was entirely like when you stare at one of those uh, puzzles that, that eventually you'll see a picture or read a word. That was the realization for me like, we all know that the star field is three-dimensional, of course it is. But when you just live in the city and you barely ever get to see those stars, it's a blanket. You know, it might as well just be the TV. Um, so that was magical. And it just, wow. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a spiritual or mystical person, but that was just a heart-stopping, you know, the world is incredible. Nature's is incredible. Uh, on the same trip, the Pacific's a big ocean and the waves are long and high. So they were safe, but they were, you know, 20 feet up and 20 feet down. So you could end up way below the peak of the next wave, which would be 100 feet behind you or 200 feet behind you, such that you were never the boat would not rock. It would just go up and down slowly in these waves. So one morning, a small whale uh had come to have a look at us and it rolled over on its side and its big eyeball came out of the ocean so it could look above the the water line at what the hell the sailboat was uh and i think it was probably an adolescent because it spent the next couple hours playing with our boat and not in a dangerous way it wasn't wasn't cresting or anything like that but at one point i was in the trough of a wave and the sun was behind us And I looked behind, and the wave behind was up well above where we were, and the sun was glowing green through it, and the whale was in that wave above the sailboat. Oh, my God. I just (laughs) There's there's a whale 30 feet above me, 100 feet away, flying beside the sun in a wave that I could see through. And it was – I wish I'd had a camera. I'd never have to work another day in my life. It would have been the photo of the millennia. Uh, to capture this whale beside the sun in a wave from the trough in the Pacific. Um, So just, just little things, little things, amazing things like that. But sure. Sorry. We're sure it wasn't drugs. Yeah, no, no. We, we, we uh, we had enough beer on the boat to last us a month if we only had two per day. So that was it. Um, it, it, Things like that continued to happen over the course of, of two and a half years. Now th- those were some of the more dramatic ones, and I think certainly part of the mystical or, or incredible nature of those experiences was that there was no other stimulus for my brain. Uh, I had read all my books. I didn't really bring much in the way of TV or movies, and I would just stare at the horizon. And your brain goes to a, a different operating level when when that so when you're in that sort of um, scenario, and so it was a lot more open to just that being far more incredible than simply my describing it would make it sound.
0: Can I, I, I know I, I asked for two really shitty or, or horrifying stories, but I want to, I want to ask about that because I, I am very, very interested in how stimuli in today's day affects us. I mean, we think about a typical day and I mean, we are hyper-connected, but it's not just, how we're hyper-connected. we are, We are go, 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 go. And there are so many different things and channels and devices that are all vying for our attention. The thought of being in a place where you don't have that for prolonged periods of time, you know, it boggles my mind. And I've done a lot of solo travel and I've done, you know, I've had a lot of time just on my own. But even in those instances, I've had a book or you know i've had a, a podcast to listen to so where you know where does your mind go or or how, what type of what type of change is that given that you were coming from the hustle and bustle of bay street it, yeah it, it took
1: it took a week or two weeks probably for my brain to slow down Um, and, and it's, you know, it's like your mental metabolism, right? You're running on high gear for, well, at that point I've been running on high gear for call it 18 years straight, 15 years straight out of undergrad in the hustle and bustle of Toronto life, all of which I loved. Um, and it isn't an easy change and you can't, uh, maybe people can, uh, can't go looking for it. I don't think, and you can't hope it'll happen over the course of a day or two. Um, and, and it is definitely a. I'm not sure I would have ever got there if you just gave me the choice to opt out of all that stimulation, because I eventually would have got bored and not opted out and then opted for stimulation. But on the boat, there was no no choice. And so it was just a situation where, uh, um, uh, you know, I didn't have a choice but to accept it. it I used the words mystical before, uh, magical or whatnot, and it wasn't like I was walking around tripping balls on this boat and everything was all magic and hunky-dory and acid trippy. It was very, I don't know, peaceful, I guess. It was, it was kind of just an acceptance. A lot of that, I think, stems from the, the acceptance that you could just die as well uh you know a week out of land and you think well if we run out of this or something breaks we could turn around and go back and we probably make it blah 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 two weeks away from land you think well we're better just to go forward than to go back if something bad happens and 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 that's scary as hell at the start but you do a couple of days later really get comfortable with it and i think that that perspective is something that a lot of people will never come face to face with although everybody should is this comfort with your mortality
0: <laughs> and we I, I i war i warned you at the start of this this uh this podcast it, it might go uh, different ways and i want to talk about that because you know it's uh it's it's a it's quite a topic i mean i've i've never i've i have yet to fear for you know, my own personal mortality. Although I think a lot about, uh, I think a lot about aging and death. I've, you know, feared mortality of, of loved ones, uh, quite a lot, especially with, you know, things that have gone on and it has quite an effect, right? It's, uh, you know, like anything negative, positive, it really, um, it forces you to go through, uh, you know, I'm a fucking crazy, crazy experience in your mind. You're out there, you're you're fearing your own mortality. What what is that what does that do to you? What do you what do you walk away with? Oh peace. <laughs> it, it
1: and I'm sure that this is personality specific as well. And that you know I tell this story sometimes to friends here and I'd say 20% of them simply say, I would not, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go on that boat, not because they're afraid of water or they get seasick, but it's just because the fear of dying or the risk of it or whatnot is, is, is just personality based. Like, I can't say I'm brave. I'm just, or, or anything like that. I didn't choose to go out there and be shit my pants afraid. I mean, I guess I chose to go on the boat, but it took a few days for me to realize how afraid I was of the potential of not getting back. Um, And that was 48 hours of anxiety, I think, not, you know, hair pulling stress, because it was 80%. The weather was fantastic. Uh, Once we were in a lightning storm that we all thought we were just toast. Um, But but with the, you know, the, the slow question of might we not get where we're going, there was a solid integer percentage chance of that happening. And, and you, I I don't know. I don't know who I would be if I hadn't done that. And it's not like I walk around on cloud nine all the time. Now I have a job and anxieties and I've got rent to pay and blah, 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 blah. But it is certainly very freeing to come to, and I I had one adventure specifically later on a different sale, but that was a lot more face to face with, with your own potential death that between the two of them, it makes everything else okay. I guess is what it, when it really comes down to it. Are when I say things like, "Are you going to be able to pay your bills?" Yes, you're going to pay your bills, and you are not going to starve, and your kids aren't going to starve, and all of that. You realize that how much anxiety we build into the day to day life, uh, you know, in in the Western world, that is completely ridiculous. That we don't need to worry about that, or at least we don't need to worry about it such that our hair falls out and our health goes to pot. What
0: I what I find honestly so interesting about that is it's not necessarily oh you might die so you know live life to the fullest which is i think you know overdone advice what what i'm hearing from you is you know said in a more profound way hey the problems we have we we can we can reduce some of those layers of anxiety especially when we've been on the edge especially when we know the the you know the true fear Facing our own mortality, and you I know. Find-
1: what, uh, and sorry to interrupt. I, I don't want I don't want that to sound like. A, and I'm, this isn't supposed to be some sort of instructional video on 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 the reduction of anxiety, but having gone through this with with an actual fear of death and coming out the other side with a perspective on anxiety, I think that you can obtain that perspective without having to go through the the life threatening situation. That yeah. helps uh it, it's certainly um, an accelerator for the perspective but everybody knows that they don't need to worry about the things that they worry about at least not to the level that they do right and it's just a matter of taking a step back and looking at yourself and saying okay do i really need to be up at 3:30 in the morning stressing over this no you don't 99% of the time some things are just fucked up and you have to worry about them but i don't think that it takes this this You know, um, baseball bat to the back of the head realization of wow, why was I worried about little things A, B, and C? It's that everybody knows you shouldn't probably be so worried about those things. You just don't know how to change it, and there's got to be a way around that. That isn't just going and risking your life. And it may just be perspective. It may be reading a different kind of book, or or surrounding yourself with different kind of people, or watching different TV, or whatever it may be. It it takes a change in perspective, which you can't just will yourself into. I don't think. Um, but I don't think that that perspective is only obtainable in the face of your own mortality.
0: <laughs> no. And I, and I, and I, uh, I certainly hope not. I certainly hope that we can, uh, and I believe we can, you know, get that, get that perspective, even just with conversations like this and, and, and hearing stories like yours. So this experience, you know, probably taught you a ton, showed you a lot, you know, as you got back to land, and let's fast forward to, you know, back to, you know, typical life, um, you know, getting a job back in Canada. What has been the biggest difference that you've noticed in your own life or in your approach to living life?
1: Um, that certainly resonates right back to that perspective. I feel anxiety start to creep back in as I get more and more settled into what is similar to my old life. Um, And, and without, I have to take a step back and remind myself about that sense of perspective. Um, But the change is certainly noticeable both internally and, and perceived from friends and family that I'm definitely a lot more of a laid back person than I was before. Um, I would just describe it as a sense of peace. Um, it sometimes evokes itself, unfortunately with, uh, uh, ennui, uh, with, with, a kind of a existential boredom of why am I doing this? Because it doesn't make my blood pump. Um, so it isn't all good. it, it, it going on an adventure like this, you do risk, <laughs> you know, going through the other side of the, the, the looking glass and not being able to look back through. Right. Um, But it is also a broad sense of of, uh, acceptance and just calm that was not that you know I was a a level-headed person before, and it probably has gone further than that now. And I appreciate that the the perspective, the sense of peace that I'd found with both with the risky things and with the change in level of necessary stimulation. Um, little things. I I come back and I can sit in a dark room quietly for an hour. I turn I I turn the the radio off in my car and I haven't turned it on in two years. I just drive in peace and quiet now. I mean, it drives everybody else insane. Can we put the radio on or something like that? Um, and, and there's downsides to this too. In that it's lovely to have all this extra free time to just think in my head actively, but I. Uh, little things start to jar me now, commercials, a commercial will kill me, I will break technological, uh, equipment around me that, that is spewing commercials, just because they drive me insane. Um, And now everybody doesn't like commercials, obviously. But but it's, you know, that was what will make me turn off a TV or a radio or whatever have you. And it's little things like that, that that sometimes start to pile up. I found that I'm less comfortable in crowds, even though I went some of the busiest places in the world. I was in Shanghai and Tokyo, uh, Mexico City, and uh, which you cannot sail to. And, And the hustle and bustle of crowds didn't bother me when it was part of an adventure. But if you put me in a busy Canadian tire on a Saturday afternoon, I will quickly lose my patience, which is not like I was before. I never loved crowds, but again, same as commercial. Nobody actually likes crowds. You just deal with it; because so it's part of society. Your tolerance uh, that your tolerance has changed a little bit. Yeah, and it's funny. Like I, I'm, I broadly view them as positive changes, um, but it isn't all just a blanket good.
0: So your your experience was leaving a job, traveling the world, sales, rails. You know, you, you your your unbelievable way of of moving around this globe, and that gave you this perspective. And more importantly, it, it clearly showed you um, and, and I guess furthered your own belief that you have the ability to make changes, that we all have the ability to take matters into our own hands and really control our lives and our circumstances. For those who are listening who feel stuck, who feel you know paralyzed or unable to do what their version of this is... What is the the one piece of advice you leave them with that you've learned from this just fucking amazing experience?
1: You, you know, what's funny that um, to go from such a big picture, esoteric discussion down to this closing point is make a list. Um, and it, it's funny that, you know, a to-do list will motivate you to do things. Um, and if it is, you aren't exactly sure of what it is you're looking for, start to list them out. Uh, if you're unhappy with your job or with your trajectory, whatever it may be, um, start to list why you think that is the case. And it doesn't have to be uh, prosaic or verbose or anything, you know, soul searching, but the act of writing things down, even in its most simplistic form, helps us form our thoughts more coherently. Uh, Lists are important for things like packing a boat to go across the ocean, make sure you bring A, B, and C, but they're so useful for things like a decision to quit the job. Uh, is it a financial based one? Is it a lifestyle one? Is it a family choice? Is it the geography choice? Um, writing things down, especially in a comparative form, a pro and con or a, a to-do list or something that you can make definitive steps towards taking things off a list, make you feel good. and makes you motivated to continue down that list versus sitting in your desk right now and listening to this and hearing, oh, you know, Russ quit a great job and sailed around the world. Fuck it. I could never do that. Well, it takes not as much planning as you think, (laughs) but it certainly takes some in the sense that, that getting down to the micro in almost every problem will help you come to a conclusion. Um, One of the worst situations we got into was because, on a boat going from Tokyo to Hong Kong, we didn't get into the micro enough and we ended up with not enough sails. Some sails tore to shreds and we ended up basically (laughs) adrift because we all had kind of trusted each other to have done a certain amount of due diligence, which is stupid, but a list would have solved that problem quickly. We had enough food and water and we could have gotten three times the distance we were going based on the supplies meant to keep human beings alive. And this was a big, beautiful boat, and it could have sailed through the Arctic, and it was strong, but we didn't have enough sails, and the sails ripped in a storm. So, it, you know, to, to, to bring it back to the point of, of if you feel like you're, you're going the wrong direction, or if there's some steps, you, or if you need to make some change, break it down into consumable steps, and you'll find yourself skipping along that list and, and feeling a sense of accomplishment, even just from making those steps.
0: What practical and simple advice to end with? And I agree. And it almost comes back to how we started this discussion, you know, doing some calisthetics, stretching, planks, push-ups, walking. Uh, hey, sometimes the simple things are the best things. Ross, I am. I'm not just saying this. This is one of the the more interesting chats I've had, not just on this podcast. We're only a few episodes in, of course, but you know, in, in, in my uh, recent history, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share this incredible story. And I hope we can, we can chat again and hopefully not too long from now hear about your next big adventure.
1: Well, no, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate being on here and the chance to, to spread the word, I guess, as it was a little bit more about um, getting stuck in your career, isn't a good career move. Um, My career progressed because of this. I came back and I went into generally the same thing as I used to do, but I am two steps ahead of where I left. And I certainly didn't expect that. But now looking at it from a third person perspective, I can certainly understand why that's the case. And I'd encourage people not to let fear of taking a step backward stop you from making those two steps forward.
0: Thank you so much, Russ.
1: Pleasure.